love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Last night I'm working on the computer, Cat's in the kitchen, and she she seems kind of funky. You I'm know? making a pasta salad. Making a pasta salad, but you didn't seem like you were in a good place, and I, I can sense these things. It's true, you're you. very... I can feel it in the atmosphere. <laughs> and so I said, what's the matter? And Cat goes, no, nothing. And of course, immediately that means something <laughs> in my mind. So I'm like, no, seriously, what, what's what's going on? And and Kat was like, oh, it's just me. Sometimes I just, I have a hard time letting things go. I just dwell on things. Sometimes I just can't let things go. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about specifically? And she said, I just don't understand why they just wouldn't take her to Bountiful. Now, it's been about five years since we watched A Trip to Bountiful. It was like three years. And and she is still dwelling on it. It just seemed like if she got on a bus and was there within a day, I mean, they, they really could have made the trip. It, it yeah, I guess. It doesn't seem like Log- it was that far out of the way. Logistically, that's that's probably true. Anyway, Trip to Bountiful, that's a film. That's <laughs> apparently haunted cat for years. <laughs> I just don't get it. Anyway, the pasta salad came out really good. It really did. It was delicious. (laughs) All right. It was January 1981. (gasps) Just north of the city limits of Houston, Texas, alongside the Wallaceville Road in a patch of marshy woods. That's where they discovered the bones of a man and a woman. Although law, law enforcement had no idea who these people were, it was clear that they were the victims of a homicide. Oh, no. The remains were taken for forensic analysis, but they were unable to determine the identity of the couple. Again, remember, it was 1981, and uh, well before DNA was commonly used to identify victims. Uh, There was nothing that was found buried with them, no identification, no clues as to who they they would be, anything that would lead police or investigators to determine their identities. Okay. And again, 1981... I'm not going to forget that it was 1981. That's my birth year. This story will forever remain with me because now I have an association with it. (laughs) Well, at least it wasn't in Bountiful (laughs) that this happened. Over the years, forensic anthropologists, because they were unable to identify this couple, 
often referred to them as simply as Romeo and Juliet. Mm. It wasn't until 1990 that crime labs and the FBI started a program to match up DNA from unknown victims of crime with information that was stored in the U.S. government database, a database that was called CODIS, which stands for Combined DNA Index System. But again, this was the very, very beginning, very early stages of using this technology. Right. The database at the time was limited to DNA that had been collected mostly from criminals and crime scenes. Uh, There were some smaller archives of DNA profiles that were submitted by family members of missing persons. But because of the limited scope, very few of any of this large backlog of unidentified dead people in America would match up with CODIS entries. So more years went by. We still have no idea who this young couple was. The couple had been buried in the county cemetery in uh, Harris County. Oh, clever. Oh, you mean they had been buried after they were discovered. Okay, not that someone had murdered them and then buried them in a cemetery. No, no. That is clever. No, they buried them alongside, the the murderers buried them alongside of a a, uh, rural road that was not uh, often traveled. Got it. But county officials buried the couple in the county cemetery in 1981. 30 years later, 30 years later, in 2011, the Harris County officials got a grant to exhume the remains of several unidentified murder victims, including Romeo and Juliet. (gasps) The grant came from uh, the National Institutes of Justice. I have to check into that. That sounds like a pretty cool program. Indeed. The information gathered from the unidentified murder victims was being routinely compared with information regarding missing persons. And not only the FBI databases, but public databases, uh, one particular known as NamUs. The database of missing persons was huge and continues to be. In Harris County alone, they had a backlog of slightly more than 300 bodies that they had not identified. Oh, jeez. And there were about 40,000 unidentified bodies from that year from across the U.S., Many of these bodies, it's uh, speculated that they were victims of serial killers. And the Texas Attorney General's office estimates that as far as unsolved homicides go in the U.S., there's probably about 269,000 of them and 19,200 of them in Texas alone. That's upsetting. It's a huge caseload. So last year, in 2021, the AG's office began to uh, operate a cold case task force. You love cold cases. I do. Now, when they exhumed the bodies of Romeo and Juliet in 2011, there was hope that the couple's DNA would determine their identity and go a long way towards solving this three decades old murder mystery. But it wasn't until 2021 that two women working with a California-based group of genetic genealogists also got a grant to help Harris County cold case tackle this caseload. And among them, of course, the Romeo and Juliet case. And it wasn't long before they got several DNA matches. Now, again, think of it. This is 40 years later. So they began making phone calls to people that uh, they had identified, asking these potential family members if they had any missing relatives. One of the people they called answered, yes, my brother Dean. He's been missing since 1981. His wife's name was Tina, and they had a little baby named Holly. Hmm. 
So after 40 years, they finally had identified this couple that had been murdered and buried in some boggy woods north of uh, Houston, Texas. But who murdered them? And more importantly, what happened to the little baby? Because there was no baby found there. Was Holly kidnapped by the murderers or was she also murdered? If she's still alive, she'd be about 42 years old and obviously she'd have no memory of her mother and father because she would have been, you know, less than a year old, about a year old, I guess. Um, <clears throat> hey, do you, do you know the answer to that question? Yes, I do know. Oh, okay. You may proceed. Shortly after this discovery, detectives got involved in investigating Dean and Tina's murder and the disappearance of baby Holly. Uh, they were able to piece together the history of Dean and Tina leading up to their disappearance. In 1979, Dean was 17 years old and he met Tina and fell in love. Tina was 15 at the time. Oof. They uh, seemed to immediately have a close relationship, and both families were well aware of each other. They were good friends. In fact, Dean's sister was dating Tina's brother, and they got married eventually. In June of 1979, Dean and Tina slipped away to the Volusia County Courthouse and got married. At 15? 15 and 17. Ugh. Holly was born on January 24th, 1980. Now, Dean was a pretty handy guy. He was skilled as a cabinet maker, and he landed a job with a home builder during the construction boom in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In mid-1980, they moved to Louisville, Texas, which is a small uh, community of about 24,000 people at the time. There, they got their own place. They settled in, and in Christmas of 1980, they sent Christmas cards to their family members uh, had a picture of Holly in it, already learning how to pull herself up and starting to walk. And that was the last time anybody heard from them. They mm. just disappeared after that. They discovered that Dean, at the age of 17, had been hanging around with a group of people that his family thought were weird, kind of, quote, Jesus freaks. They wore robes and had long beards and, and long hair and... They called themselves brothers and sisters, and they and they worked to convert people into their cult in uh, Central Florida. I was going to say, it sounds very culty. Yeah. It fell under the Jesus Freaks umbrella, and there were a lot of different groups that fell under that umbrella. Most of them were pretty benign, but there were some extreme groups, and there's some speculation that this group was extreme. His mother became concerned when she discovered Dean in the kitchen and he was talking with a bunch of these guys. They just kind of showed up out of nowhere. They were wearing white robes and this was about the time that he and Tina moved away okay. and got married. Shortly after they made their move to Texas, their family got a call from a woman named who just called herself Sister Susan. She said that Tina and Dean had joined their group and no, wa no longer wanted any contact with their families oh, and that they had agreed to give up all of their possessions. They said they would bring her back Dean's car. So they met outside uh, Daytona Beach Racetrack, Dean's mother, and two women who showed up to exchange Dean's car for money, of course. The two women were barefoot, they wore white robes, claimed to belong to a nomadic religious group that believed in vegetarianism and the separation of male and female members. Police speculate that probably at this point, Dean and Tina were dead. Oh, wow. But that, unfortunately, is where the trail goes cold. We still don't know what happened to Dean and Tina. Were they murdered by members of the cult? 
Was it a random killing? Who was responsible? Not surprisingly, Dean and Tina's family became hyper-focused on trying to find out what happened to baby Holly. In an article in the, in the Independent, a recent article, Dean's mother was quoted as saying, but where's the baby? Where is the baby? I was so hoping that she wasn't with them when the murders happened. Mm. Meanwhile, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, was quietly working on the case weeks after Dean and Tina had been identified. Through his investigation, collected information on the case and DNA. And just last week, June of 2022, they found Holly. Oh my gosh. She's alive. Whoa. She's 42 and has five children of her own and living in Oklahoma. And she has she had no idea, nope. I'm sure. No idea. It was on June 7th, just 10 days ago from the recording of this episode, that uh, Holly was made aware of her identity and was soon reunited with her family on a Zoom call. Wow. On the day that would have been her father's 63rd birthday. And was she able to confirm that she had been snagged by the long-haired freaky people? Well, she was. She had no memory of, of anything. But they were able to piece that together. Paxton, again, the attorney general in uh, Texas, in a statement said, I am extremely proud of the exceptional work done by my office in the newly formed Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit. My office diligently worked across state lines to uncover the mystery surrounding Holly's disappearance. We were successful in our efforts to locate her and reunite her with her biological family. And although Holly has not made any official statements, an article in The Independent quoted her grandmother, Dean's mother, as saying, when I first saw her, I just wanted to grab her and hug her because I remember holding her when she was just a little baby. She went on to say, quote, I'm overwhelmed. I was crying for joy because we've all been praying that we would find her and that she would be okay. And she had a family that had taken care of her and raised her proper. We were just very glad for that. The theory that cult members may have been responsible for their murders is plausible. Police have been able to determine that Holly was dropped off at a church in 1981 by two unidentified women wearing white robes. Mm -hmm. We still don't know for sure, but members of Dean's and Tina's family hold out hope that current or former members of this group might know what happened to Dean and Tina. It was, after all, long-haired, white-robed, barefoot cult members that brought Dean's car back to his mom, the very car that they watched Dean, Tina, and Holly drive off in. The Klaus murders are still considered active, an active case in Harris County. The investigation goes on. But for now, at least, one small part of the story has a happy ending. Holly's been reunited with her biological family after 40 years. Investigators, of course, are not satisfied until they get to the bottom of this and find out what happened to Dean and Tina 40 years ago along a quiet wooded road just north of Houston, Texas. The Attorney General's office in Texas asks, quote, If you have any information regarding these murders, we ask that you come forward. Even if it's a piece of information that may not seem concrete like concrete evidence, we need to find the pieces of the puzzle to solve this crime. Also, if you're in a cult, get out. My source information, The Independent, The Washington Post, All That's Interesting, and The Texas 
observer. I can't imagine what went through Holly's mind just, wow. you know, a couple of weeks ago when she gets a call out of nowhere saying, hey, oh, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Did she even know that she was adopted? That Not the... clear. Not okay. Clear. I wow. guess probably now she does if she didn't. Well, yes, now she would know. <laughs> <laughs> but prior to that, I don't know. I got the feeling that, yes, she probably did. They talked pretty openly about knowing that she had been dropped off by two people mm. as an infant. Okay. Okay. But yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah, that's uh that's just now happening. Crazy. I'm so happy for you, Holly. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan Toth. I've gotta tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... 
that thing in the middle. You may think we have a pretty good recorded history of mankind. And it's true that written accounts of history started roughly 6,000 years ago. However, modern humans first appeared around 200,000 years ago. That means that roughly 97% of history has been lost over time. All right, checking out the inbox of oddities. Uh, this came as an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com, uh, from Becca. I just finished listening to Box 440 about the Glasgow smile. I felt I should let you know that I know someone with a Glasgow smile. <gasps> He's a bouncer at a bar. It can get pretty rowdy at this bar in a town in the middle of Scotland. He's about 60-ish. We live about an hour from Glasgow. So we can assume it probably happened there when he was younger. He has always been lovely to me, but I bet having him as your bouncer is pretty effective. <laughs> Imagine being drunk as hell and being removed from the premises by a massive guy with a Glasgow smile. I think that would make you uh, behave pretty quickly. Anyway, thought it would be good to let you know that the Glasgow smiles still seem to be going around over here. Stay freaky, Becca, obviously writing in from Scotland. Well, that's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to know the name of this place because <laughs> I kind of want to go now. Of course you do. <laughs> we got a message from David who says, I just finished the rest of the episode. He was talking earlier about the Glasgow smile as well. But he wanted to chime in on the 500th episode Ideas. Oh, yeah. It would be so much fun, he says, to have a contest to come up with a Box of Oddities mascot and a mascot name for the show. <laughs> I think that might be top of mind, too, since we just talked about the honey butter chicken biscuits. But, yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, the only mascot I want is the honey butter chicken biscuits. Yeah, maybe so. we could have the Box of Oddities. Maybe in the off season, they'll lend us their mascot costume. Maybe. Yeah. But we'd have to like cross out chicken and put like chick mm. Right. Or like yeah. faux chicken, you know, yeah, right. just, yeah. yeah, I mean, just to be authentic. Well, at least you're being upfront about it, <laughs> defacing their mascot. Um, Rose, this comes from Patreon. Rose sent us a, a comment and she's talking about the episode we recorded right before you went on a trip. Okay. And I mentioned it was 1020 in the morning and that you had to fly out in like three or four hours. Right. Rose sent us a Patreon message. Boo effect. As soon as JG said we're recording at 1020 in the morning. The time on my phone goes from 10.19 to 10.20 in the morning. Hey. Wow. Rose. That's bizarre. Also, one of my favorite A Perfect Circle songs. You've got a pretty name. There's no getting around it. Ducky sent us a message on uh, Patreon as well. I used to live in Washington. As soon as Kat started talking about the odd team names, <laughs> only one thing came to mind. Speedy the Geoduck from Olympia's Evergreen State College. Oh, so the Geoduck, isn't that like a combination of two different things? I read about that a little yeah. bit. Like the geode is a nod to their like geological stuff. Right. And then they just had to make it an animal, so they made him a duck. <laughs> I, I that's how know. I understand it. I hope that's true. And then Deborah uh, sent, uh, this is, also came from Patreon. I would like a photo of Kat's new knife 
please. Somebody made you a beautiful handcrafted knife and sent it to you. Deborah goes on to say, my husband collects knives and you were away when this came in. So I responded, we will send you a picture. Cat is flying back tomorrow and I'm sure that it's in her carry-on luggage. Stop it. She immediately responded with about 800 uh, laughing emojis. Anyway. Yes, my pain is hilarious, you oh, guys. You you are tragically hilarious. <laughs> Hey, isn't that the tagline of your new podcast? Yeah, The Shallow End. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about oh, about the launch last week. Segway. Coming up in a couple of minutes. I did, by the way, share a photo of the new knife on our Instagram page. So if you want to check that out, uh, it's the first one in a series of photos that I shared about that week that included knives and Paul McCartney and Jessica Fletcher and it was a, busy a lot of week. other things. Yeah. <laughs> want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, oh, I, I guess that's a point. <laughs> So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. Box Laboratories, bringing you the voices you know and new stories you've never heard. All in a brand new podcast that may become your second favorite. The Shallow End with Schnepley and Toff from the Box of Oddities. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What? All right, that's enough. Today, we're going to talk about a legend in Western Pennsylvania. Any mention of them on social media will probably lead to a flurry of responses, though certainly not exclusive to Pittsburgh. It's so ubiquitous in the city the phenomena took on the city's name. It's the Pittsburgh Potty. The Pittsburgh Potty? The Pittsburgh Potty. Oh, okay. 
Are you familiar? No. When I think of Pittsburgh, because I, I lived there for a year, I immediately think of Permandy Brothers cheesesteaks. <laughs> that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, Those of you who live in Pittsburgh are going, yes! <laughs> what made the Permandy Brothers cheesesteaks so special? Well, first of all, they were open like... 24 hours. That'll so do it. It's great drunk food. Yeah, that's why Dice Arts, yeah, you know. In, in Maine, yeah. Maine is huge because yeah. they're always open. They use, I don't know, some special type of uh, a cut of, of meat and they grill it on, I think it's like sourdough bread and they put the meat on it and then some condiments and then coleslaw right on top of it and then french fries right on top of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's... Um, Wow, it's it's a flavor explosion. I uh, can imagine. And really delicious after about nine pilsners. I bet. All right, so anyway, what is the Pittsburgh potty? And how did this titular toilet come to be? <laughs> All right, so the Pittsburgh toilet. It's a common fixture in pre-World War II homes built not just in Pittsburgh, but the surrounding Northeast region. Hmm. It's a toilet standing by itself in the middle of a basement. Oh. No surrounding walls. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. you're getting it now. Well, I remember I can't remember where I, okay, yeah. No, my uh, my aunt and uncle who lived in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Mhm. Had one in their basement. They had a Pittsburgh potty. Yeah. I always thought, that's weird. Yes, it is weird. Because it was just in the middle of their basement. That's what it is. There's no privacy. There's no sinks for hand washing. It's just a toilet out in the open in the middle of a basement. Though some have a hose or a drain nearby. And a few are accompanied by a large sink, which often doubles as a laundry basin. But either way, it's a toilet yeah. in the middle of a basement. I saw a couple of uh, tweets about it and someone had responded to a tweet by saying, you know, we had a Pittsburgh toilet in our basement and we're very fancy because it had a bidet. Ooh. And then it was like ellipses. <laughs> well, really, it was just a hose attached to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, so, perform the same function. <laughs> so what's up with, with this? Uh, one reason that the Pittsburgh potty is thought to exist is due to Pittsburgh's roots as a steel town. In addition to being grueling, dangerous work, steel mill work was dirty. So instead of tracking dust and dirt throughout the house after work, steel workers would often enter their home through a basement entrance. They'd put on a fresh set of clothes and use the the downstairs toilet prior to joining their families upstairs for dinner. Wouldn't it have made more sense to have a downstairs shower? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why this theory doesn't exactly hold water. Gotcha. Real estate agent Stephen Cummings told radio news station 90.5 WESA that he has seen the majority of Pittsburgh potties in homes built between 1880 and 1910. And those homes that in the early 1900s belonged to more affluent families may have seen household help using the downstairs uh, potty. Okay. But so many of these and just a single toilet, which, you know, if the servants or whatever were, were spending time downstairs, sure, fine. But you'd think a sink might be a good idea, especially if they're handling your food. <laughs> yeah. Use the basement and the toilet, and when you come back, 
Don't touch my eggs. That's enough. So, yeah, steel mill workers trying not to grime up their house might have taken advantage of the downstairs shitter, and household staff could have used them for sure. But would either of these things explain why so many exist? Mm, No. Well, it turns out that the topography of Pennsylvania and the time period that these homes were built were essential in figuring out this cryptic commode quandary, this primeval pisser problem, this subterranean shitter stumper. This ancient ass. Oh, Something that starts with A. I can give you some time if you want. No, let's move along. Okay. Most of Pennsylvania is covered with mountains and rolling hills. As the Appalachian Mountains run from south central to northeastern Pennsylvania, while the Allegheny Mountains rise up in the west. And in the early 1900s, indoor plumbing was still a relatively new option. So it's these two tidbits that help us understand why the Pittsburgh potty came to be. It turns out Pittsburgh toilets weren't really intended to be used at all. Excuse me? In the late 19th century, it wasn't uncommon in growing cities for sewage to back up on the streets. And since Pittsburgh is so hilly, you can imagine mm. where that, that mm. fecal matter is mm. going. Mm-hmm. So if there's a sewage backup on your street, it would come into your home through the fixture that's lowest to the ground. Okay. Architect William Martin told Pittsburgh's NPR news station, as the city grew and the systems were used more and more, backups would more and more occur. And when a sewer backed up, it would fill up a pipe, like you're filling up a jar, and eventually you're going to reach a point where you fill up the jar and it starts to spill over. Mm -hmm. Well, in a home, Martin explained, what happens is the sewage backs up the pipe and then into the fixtures that are connected to it. And it's going to come up through your bathtub if your bathtub is the lowest fixture. And it's going to come up through your toilet if your toilet is the lowest fixture. And it's going to spill over and it's going to be all over your living room. Well, that's if you have your toilet in the living room. Well, it might make its way there regardless. I suppose, depending on how bad the backup is. So if you've got nice carpet in any part of your home, probably (laughs) you want to find a way to avoid this. Uh So if there was a fixture, such as a toilet in the basement, the sewage would spill out there in an unfinished cement floored basement rather Mm. than on your nice carpet. What what a terrible solution to the problem. Here, no, we can't stop it, but it's just going to fuck up your basement. Well, it's, I mean, it worked, and the it being in the basement gave you time to alert the city, like, hey, there's obviously a clog or a backup or something's gone wrong, and it doesn't ruin your, your stuff. I suppose. So that's something. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my first questions is, why not a drain or something like what that was my question right so apparently a floor drain uh the sewer would back up and it would continue to back up because the drain couldn't or wouldn't be large enough to stave off the fecal flow Mm. and once again it would just be heading toward the nearest plumbing thing that it could find anyway okay that a drain wouldn't be sufficient i'm surprised that they didn't put like if that's the case, put a toilet in the basement, but put the toilet in some kind of an enclosed area to 
contain the overflow. Well, you want to be able to keep an eye on it and make sure that you know what's going on with it. Because if it's overflowing and you don't do anything, then it's just going to overflow other places too. Yeah, but but if it's like, if they put the toilet in the, like say the size of a a 10 by 3 foot pool. So you're saying like a half wall that you could peek into? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, make it like ten feet in diameter or I, something, and I suppose that makes sense too. But then, how do you clean it after? Put the, a drain in that, so it overflows and then it's contained. But what's it draining into? Well, ultimately, when the backup is fixed, it'll drain back into the drain. And in the meantime, you've contained the damage. I should have been a 19th century plumbing fixture design guy. No, I absolutely agree. I'm. It's a wonder that you weren't. So this was their solution so that they didn't have all kinds of baby mice to clean up. (laughs) Is that that 19th century slang for turd? No, it's a Donnie Darko reference. Oh, (laughs) yes. We have to watch that again, too. I know. So the toilet downstairs was installed for the sole purpose of keeping your nice things safe from sewage backup. And that is the answer to this perplexing pooper problem. (laughs) <laughs> what is feces? Baby mice? Aww. Aww. I got most of my information from WESA, from Ripley's, and from today. That was quite enjoyable. Thank you. I'm glad that you liked it. Tell me more about Pittsburgh. I've never been. I uh, worked at a radio station there, B94. At the time was Top 40. I don't know what they're doing now. And uh, Most of your career you were in Top, top 40, 40, right? Yeah. yeah, that's where the money was. They told me. They lied. I don't know. You did okay for a bit there. I mean, you squandered it. Yes. Let's let's be clear. Yeah. Hookers and blow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was top 40 radio. That's true. Yeah. No, no, not true. (laughs) Grandview Avenue. The radio station was on top of Grandview Avenue, and uh, that's up on Mount Washington, Mm -hmm. which uh, overlooks Pittsburgh. Just a beautiful skyline view. It was just... Just lovely. Did you ever have one of those bumper stickers that said, this car climbed Mount Washington? (laughs) No, no. But that's where I learned how to pronounce uh, Duquesne as opposed to the Duquesne incline. (laughs) And uh, and also where I lived in Shadyside, uh, where Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers lived. That was your Fred Rogers incident. Yeah, when I ran into him at a giant eagle food store. Which is such a weird name for a grocery store. But anyway, thank you so much for sharing your wonderful stories with me. I'm happy to do it. I'm happier to do it than most people are to listen to them. Uh, We do have to wrap this up, though, because we have a special date planned for tonight uh, where I have chosen a movie and takeout is on the way to us that correlates with the film that we're watching. I'm very excited to see what this is, how this is all going to tie together. And this is something we're going to start doing at least once a month. And next time will be your choice movie and takeout. Thank you. I'm very excited. We launched The uh, Shallow End last week, our, our new podcast from our, our company and we're very excited about it when we as of recording this episode on friday the 17th uh, it had bumped its way into the top 100 on on uh, apple podcast comedy charts it's wild that's pretty cool yeah you guys are awesome check it out we'd appreciate it if you would if uh, if you like box of oddities we think that you'll like the shallow end i'm not really on it 
You are some. It's it's mostly me and my childhood friend, Lindsay Schnebly. Schnebly and Toth, we call ourselves. That's right. There was some question about why, if it was my new podcast, my name wasn't involved in it. And it's because I'm not really on it. I, I pop in. She produces it. You can check it out at shallowendpodcast.com. Oh, but you know what would probably be even easier? I'm, I'm just going to put the link right in the show notes of this episode. So just check there. Click on that link. That'll take you right to a page where everything you need to know is located. The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth. And and there are a lot of podcasts out there that are called The Shallow End. So maybe not the best choice, Maybe guys. not, yeah. The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth. And you can also find details about this silly little podcast, The Box of Oddities, at theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.